Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. So after reading the poll response, it looks like you guys mostly prefer that there's no co-host, although it was pretty close. So I think what I'm going to be doing for the foreseeable future is just doing it me only, but have guests on when I need to talk about a certain subject. So, you know, anytime somebody invents something cool, if it doesn't war- warrant a full interview, maybe I just have them on for five or ten minutes or something. Or, I guess if I get a chance to do it in person with people, I think that's a whole lot of fun, and that might be a different dynamic. I don't really know, but I would like to try that, because I haven't really gotten a chance to do that. Um, And I know I've been saying that I'm going to be doing that with Cousin Scott for like a year now, but uh, it's hard enough getting our schedules on the same page. So, for now, I guess you're stuck with just me, but uh, anyway, let's move on to the news. First up, I gotta talk about the My Life in Gaming PS2 episode, because holy crap, is it awesome. Now, I know I'm a fanboy, and I always talk about those guys, and it's probably nauseating to hear me say it over and over, but seriously, like, these these guys make me want to quit making videos. Uh, they do such a good job, they're so thorough, and they tackle everything. And a lot of the things that they've explained, uh, not only did I already know the answer to, but I've even worked on, but I still get excited because the way they present it in the video just makes it so easy to understand, and I just, I love the way they have their examples up and everything, so... Uh, If you're even slightly interested in PS2 stuff, then definitely check the video out. And the only thing I'll add is just the same thing I've been saying for a while now, is that um, if you're in an all-SCART environment, so you don't really have component consoles, definitely check out Citrus 3000 PSI's C-Sync mod. Uh, or contact him, or iFix Retro even, because I've been working with Ben on five five of them now, I think we've done, just to make uh, the console output C-Sync no matter what, including in 480p. Um, you know, while there may or may not be tiny little visual artifact differences, you know, some people say there are, some people say there aren't, uh, that's much less of an issue than just keeping all of your setup easier to use. So definitely something for you to look into if you have an all-SCART setup that supports 480p and you want to uh, incorporate the PS2 into that. So, uh, yep, links down below, and, uh, you know, once again, just awesome job to the My Life in Gaming guys. Next, Brunus on the LibRetro forums has been doing some extensive lag testing on emulation versus original consoles. And he's using a slow motion camera, and he's got the whole setup done. Um, and his comparisons, uh, as, as with mine, can be a little confusing. Because there's just one thing I want to get clear. When I say zero lag, it's not literally the number zero. Zero is the baseline. So if your console hooked up to a CRT with an original controller, um, from the time you press the button to the time Mario jumps is zero when I explain these things. It's not actually zero, though, uh, so it's my mistake for that I, I may be not clear about that sometimes. Um, and Brunus says that there's 3.6 frames of lag on a stock C- uh, SNES. Now, once again, that doesn't mean a SNES has lag. It just means that's the time in milliseconds it's going to be taking from you know, the time you press the button. And it should be about one frame anyway, because that's how long the consoles pull for. Um, I don't want to get too in-depth with this one, but my, my point in this rant is that the uh, the post on the LibRetro forums is great, and he's going through what he's finding for different softwares, um, and obviously different emulator cores on LibRetro are going to have different performance. 
But I love stuff like this, and he's doing some great work. Um, I would like uh, more people to verify his findings. Not because I'm doubting him, just because that's how real nerds work. Nothing's the way it is until a bunch of your friends have verified it as well. Um, but very cool that he's doing this, and hopefully I'll find the time to, to follow his lead and do the similar things uh, to all the different emulators that I've been using, especially the arcade stuff. Um, and actually, uh, thanks to Vitor for sending this to me, and it's kind of funny because right after I recorded last week's episode, so it was all recorded, I knew who the Patreon winner was, uh, Vitor sends this email to me and says, hey, you know, I just thought you'd, uh, thought you'd appreciate this, and I was dying because I wanted so badly to be like, holy shit, dude, I just drew your name to win the freaking high def nest from Game Tech. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a good secret keeper, but that one was hard because that one was fun and exciting, and I, I just responded like, uh, thanks, dude, I'll, it'll be in next week, so like, I was trying to be quick about it so I wouldn't, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so thank you to Vitor, and of course, thank you to, to Game Tech for the uh, amazing donation. Voltar just posted another video, this time about how to do a cap replacement on a duo and deal with leaky capacitors, which is a gigantic pain. Um, he tells a trick about using a fiberglass pen, which I wish I had known years ago before, when I did a few of the cap replacements on my consoles, because I just sat there scrubbing with isopropyl trying to get that goop off. Um, and not only will it eventually damage the traces, it just uh, it makes it hard to solder back onto the pot, uh, the pads. So a great video, and uh, you know anybody that's doing a cap replacement, at the very least, might want to skim through. But get yourself a fiberglass pen, one of those. It looks like a toothbrush, but it's for electrical electrical components and some isopropyl. And speaking of Voltar. Unmaker actually posted a great video on his YouTube channel that shows Voltar's capacitor fix for the SNES One Chip and Mini. And this really demonstrates the ghosting fix uh, as well as it can, because I believe he inverted some of the colors. So you really get to see um, the lines in front of Mario before and after the fix. Um, so obviously I'm a huge fan of the SNES, and anytime we could squeeze out any more performance out of it, I'm uh, obviously very excited. So uh, a massive, huge thanks to Voltar for doing all that research and getting this done. Alright, Zach, is that good enough? I said your name like four times and thanked you. Hey, you said it'd be 50 this time, dick! A tool was just released that allows people to create visual novels on the 32X, and this is another one of those art forms, I guess you would call it, that I just really had no idea about until recently. And, I mean, I, I love all this stuff. Um, you know, I wish I had the time to really sit in and kind of go through uh, and check out all the different things you could do with these things. And any time you could use, like, cool ways of using older hardware, um, you know, I, th I think it's definitely pretty awesome. But I know certainly around here in New York, I bet you there's a bunch of people that would love to do some kind of 32X art installation where you have that tower of power with that ugly-ass 32X mushroom thingy on top of, like, a Genesis one and a Sega CD one. Um, maybe the tool could even play CD audio from the CD. So having that going onto an RGB monitor or a CRT, I bet you you could do a bunch of really cool things with that. So, uh... You know, it's not really a retro gaming thing, it's more of like an art type of thing, but I thought it was certainly worth mentioning, and thanks to Smoke Monster for passing the link along. Well, looks like Dan's at it again. Citrus 3000 PSI just posted pictures of his 3DO RGB board. So we went from having only one solution, the otaku board, to having none, and now uh, both the Dujan Dance one and this one will 
hopefully be available soon enough. And while on the one hand, yeah, it's only the 3DO, if you like any of those games, you're going to want to play them in the best way possible, especially if you've already invested in like RGB monitors and stuff. So to be able to have an RGB kit, and especially one like this that could toggle for 240p as well, is a really big help. Um, Dan's been working on a ton of great stuff, and I'll have a video coming soon on another one of his projects. Last Saturday, Brooklyn Video Games hosted an arcade tournament for King of Fighters, and this one was actually covered by Kotaku, which I thought was really great because, uh, you know, a lot of the crew around here does an amazing job on their arcade tournaments and the quality of the, uh, all the components they use, and I'm glad they finally got some more recognition for this. I've obviously been trying to help spread the word since the first time I saw these guys in action, uh, and I really hope it picks up a lot more because while I do love fighting games and I love playing these things, uh, I actually, as you guys would imagine, really, really love the tech side of it. You know, I love walking into a place and there's three guys crawled inside an arcade machine trying to make sure they squeeze out every last bit of quality from it, uh, both so that the actual arcade experience is correct for the players and so people who are watching the streams can really experience it the best way you possibly can online. So, uh, you know, hopefully I'll be able to, to stay later at some of these. I try to stop by as many as I can, but I'm usually doing a million things, so i got to run out. But uh, if you're in the New York area, definitely look and check some some of these tournaments out because I, I mean I completely understand if you're far away but if you're already in the area and it's a reasonable journey and check out Brooklyn video games I fix uh, I fix machine next level has some and you know of course follow all the guys behind it um, I'll try to put links to everybody down below but it's a whole lot of fun and it's um, you know it's glad that I'm glad that this is spreading and more people are really starting to realize how cool these, these things actually are there's a new controller adapter board on GitHub that allows you to use PlayStation 3 and 4 DualShock controllers on a Sega Saturn, which is kind of neat because a lot of people didn't really like the big 3D controller for the Saturn, and I'm sure if you're a PlayStation user, you're already used to holding that style of controller anyway, so um, it's certainly a pretty neat thing, and if, if you're looking to do that, this is a great way to try it. Um, the person actually emailed me who created it, and I think he lives around New York area, so I'd love to try one of these out whenever I have time, but uh, I'm not really sure when that's going to be, so maybe we can get him down to one of the fighting tournaments and, uh, uh, and see if he can bring his adapter with him. And speaking of controller adapters, I got a link sent to me from Phantom Knot that showed some converters for modern consoles. So they're able to do things like uh, PS3 to Nintendo Switch, or the Xbox as well, but also even things like Xbox 360 to Xbox One, which is pretty neat because anybody that has those custom fighting sticks might, you know, your only choices really are to gut them and put new electronics inside or get a converter. The only thing that I couldn't find on the website is information on how much lag is added, and with things like the RafNet adapters, um, you know, he has it down to just a few milliseconds, less than even half a frame. So it would be good to know exactly how much lag is being added with these, but at least there's a choice now where there was pretty much none at all before. A few weeks ago, I talked about a newer YouTube channel called Game Hut, which is run by a game developer, and very cool, gives lots of inside info. And that game developer was one of the people that worked on Sonic 3D Blast, and he's going back and remaking that game with the Director's Cut version that has different enhancements and bug fixes and stuff. Um, and while the graphics in the video look like the Saturns, I think he said he's even doing it for the Genesis. I'm actually not 100% on that, but... Uh, 
you know, I I love stuff like this, and I think it's really awesome that uh, you know that that this is being revisited like that. I was never a huge fan of the game, but maybe it was just because it was too new at the time, and you know that whole 3D gameplay hadn't really been ironed out yet. But I'll definitely be trying this one, regardless of what platform it's on. Uh, and I think you'll get more info on this on the next Smoke Monster video, whenever that's coming out. Normally I'm trying to save ROM info for his stuff, but I think this kind of just crosses over all the platforms, and I think everybody wants to hear about this stuff. So thanks to Smoke Monster for passing it along. This next thing is a bit of speculation and rumor, but there's been N64 manuals that have been appearing on Nintendo's website that supposedly weren't there before. And the speculation, of course, is that maybe these are manuals for next year's N64 classic. Um, but, you know, it's all just speculation. I just figured it was kind of neat and might want to mention it. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure if I wanted to sink that low, I could title this week's episode, like, Nintendo announces N64 classic for 2018? Question mark. But uh, while I have been digging some of my silly clickbait t uh, thumbnails and titles, I'm not sinking that low. That's totally different. <laughs> More GameCube video news from Citrus 3000 PSI. It looks like his dual output plug-and-play version is nearing the ends of prototype phase, which is pretty awesome. So now you just you still have one small dongle that has a little HDMI port, and it uses a 3.5mm 4-pole port for RGBS, and then you would just get audio from um, you know the normal analog output. So uh, I'm loving that we're making lots of progress with this, and I hope to have a video at least before the end of the year that shows all the different solutions and explains where this project came from and uh, pretty much a good overview of it. It's not going to be my life in gaming quality, but my videos never will, so maybe they'll do a follow-up next year and, and make it a real documentary. I recently had a chance to test a French Atari 7800 with the fake RGB output. So just a very quick rundown, uh, consoles in France were required to output RGB and nothing else. So rather than retool the entire manufacturing and redo the motherboards, uh, many different manufacturers just stuck composite to RGB converters in them just so they could pass spec. And uh, this one was bad, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Um, it was about what you would expect from composite video. Um, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but, uh, the, you know, there was a bunch of garbage on the bottom of the screen. I tried a few different games, and I don't know if that was from the converter, the fact that it was uh, meant to be played on a different type of CRT with lots of overscan, but it was definitely interesting. Um, and the cable that I used wasn't for that console. It was for a different Atari console with the same pinout, and it was really dark when I uh, when I first plugged it in, so I took the resistors off the RGB lines, and it seemed fine. But I don't know if anybody was interested in that. Um, I would not recommend it for gaming. So, you know, if you just want to play an original 7800, I would just buy a normal one and do like a composite or S-Video mod or something, or even just play RF. A lot of the, a lot of the later-end consumer-grade CRTs had very good filters on the RF port. Um, but if, as a collector's item, you know, this is certainly cool, and if you have the ability to get one uh, affordable enough, definitely pick it up for collectors. But for gamers, just stick to the regular one or play it. Uh, play the core that's in the Analog NT Mini. Well, put on your tinfoil hats, because here comes Conspiracy Theory Bob. Sort of. 
Um, the ESRB, the Entertainment Software Rating Board, is a company that puts all the ratings on video games so that parents know that know a general idea of what their kids are playing. So, you know, you don't want to have a nine-year-old playing, like, Grand Theft Auto, but Splatoon's fine or something. Uh, and while it's not perfect, it's good enough. But now they just made it mandatory that people selling physical copies of digital games have to pay that. So I just, unless I got this wrong, what I'm grasping out of this is a company, a developer, pays $10,000 to the ESRB to have them rate their game. And now that game, unchanged, is going on a disc or cartridge. And now the resellers of that have to pay $3,000 for the use of that. So they get, they're double dipping. And here's where the conspiracy theory, you know, damn the man in me comes out. Because I start to get really pissed by these things. Um, Where is this money going and why is it mandatory? Why are Nintendo, Sega, and Microsoft, why is it mandatory that those, that this is used? In the U.S., when you have the ratings like uh, CE or UL, you have choices of different places you can go to for this same thing. And while... Companies like this are supposedly trying to make things safer for everybody. You know, where's the money going? Why do you have to pay this? And whose pockets are getting greased at the end of the day? I mean, whose idea was it to double dip for something like this? And if that's the level of, of shitty corruption there's already in this company, what have they been doing for the past 20 years so far? If they would stoop so low to double dip to, just to try to put those places... I mean, you you would almost put places like limited run games out of business because they're the ones that do things like this now it's not just them other companies are doing it uh and other companies are doing it for way smaller runs than they do just a few hundred of something and now they have to pay that as well and while i certainly wasn't 100 percent on the side of limited run games and i certainly am more of uh the gamer side of things than a collector side I'm 100% behind them for this. Uh, this just seems like bullshit, and it just seems like fat cats trying to get even fatter. So uh, I don't know. I don't know what else we could do about this. I don't know. You know, there's nothing. I don't think there's anything we could do. I don't think there's a petition you could sign. There's certainly nothing you could boycott because every game that comes out now has one of these. Um, but hey, maybe start another one. Maybe start a competitor. And uh, maybe get a really great, crazy lawyer to step in on this uh, to back the fact that this is a straight-up monopoly. So uh, if any of you enterprising fuckers out there want to start this business and just really shove your finger up to the man, now's the perfect time because, I mean, this is just blatantly trying to steal money from people. So uh, screw these guys and hopefully we'll as a community come up with a better solution. Now that the Xbox One X is out, the Xbox One S is having some sales. I hate this naming scheme. Uh, apparently, Microsoft themselves are going to be selling the S for 189 on Black Friday, and uh, Sterling Ferrance actually even posted to say that Target has it for 189 as well, plus a $25 Target gift card, which kind of comes in handy. Um, I ended up picking one up used, and holy shit was I disappointed. Um, I've seen all the YouTube parodies, and even Nick from HD Retrovision you know, makes the jokes all the time about this. But I got this thing home. Uh, you know, It was in great condition and everything. I plugged it in, and I put in Mortal Kombat, because I figured, what the hell, I love that game. I might as well try it on a newer console. And it was 45 minutes before the game started. 
it had to not only download stuff, and I actually have a really fast internet connection at my apartment, but it also copied stuff from the disk onto the hard drive. And literally, the time I put that disk in to the time it finished was 45 minutes. I could not believe how terrible that actually was. Uh, you know, it just, it always reminds me of uh, Neo Geo CD, where people were complaining about the loading times on that. Holy crap, we should all be so lucky to have those loading times. Uh, it took so long, I only had to play it for about a minute and a half, and then I had to go do something else. Um, and then on top of that, I got a game, uh, Need for Speed, and I tried to do that. It's the same thing. It needs to download and load. And then about halfway through the loading, it said, your disc is dirty, you know, clean and replace the disc. The disc was flawless. There wasn't any scratches or cracks or anything. I wiped it down with a damp towel anyway just to make sure, dried it all off, got it in, and the same thing. So my first experience with, uh, you know, the latest, or I guess last year's generation console is garbage. Is this really what it's like? Is this, are people not exaggerating? Is this every game for these new consoles or this terrible? Uh, I mean, I was kind of annoyed with how every time I teleport in Zelda, I gotta wait two minutes for the Switch to load, but this is now seeming like a luxury compared to it. So, uh, yeah, let me know what you guys think about this. Uh, and if anybody knows how to fix a perfect condition need for speed game, I don't really know how to get that working yet either. It looks like Nintendo is moving forward with the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um... Based on the movie from my childhood, I have zero expectations for this, but hopefully they would have learned enough from the mistakes over the years that uh, this one will actually be a decent movie to watch, so I guess we'll see how that goes. The software Laka has just announced a new release candidate version that adds support for other chipsets, and uh, I believe it's still updated for the Raspberry Pi as well. And I'll soon be jumping into testing all those different Raspberry Pi software editions. Uh, but for now, while the software comparisons are coming, I just uploaded a video that talks about different hardware solutions for the Raspberry Pi. When I did my original video almost exactly a year ago, actually, the only thing available was the VGA adapter. And now there's a bunch of good choices. Um, and I took my favorites and kind of did a mini review of each and talked about their hardware differences. Uh, so I thought it, uh, you know, it was pretty cool. A lot of different choices, and each one would fit people's scenarios better. Uh, there wasn't one definitive winner, and I, I certainly liked them all. Um, and also, I just did an interview with Mike Chi, the creator of the Retro Tink products, and that was really great because we kind of dug into the different versions and uh, and really just started the the very long conversation about. Uh, Raspberry Pi gaming and the different options and stuff. It, it was great. Um, so I highly recommend the interview with Mike because he was a good guy and we talked about a lot of uh, totally different things. And if you're into the Raspberry Pi stuff, uh, check that Hardware Solutions video out as well. Okay, now on to the Q&As. First up, Moon asked, has anyone tried using an HDMI to VGA adapter in conjunction with an OSSC to display on an older consumer CRT monitor? Uh, yeah, it works great, and in fact, a bunch of guys on the Shmups forum have done extensive comparisons between the different adapters, and found one that's extremely cheap actually works really great. So I'll put a link to that down below, um, and if anybody's really looking to just do 480p on a just a regular VGA monitor, I think it's a pretty good solution. Next, Andy asked, he has both a PVM and an OSSC. 
Is there inex- is there an inexpensive device that you could recommend that could split the output from one of my SCART consoles to two SCARTs and allow me to display the same image on both devices? Um, so there's a few things you could actually do in this. The first is to go directly into the PVM and then use the outputs of the PVM into the VGA input of the OSSC. Um, the cables you can get are pretty inexpensive, so just get the female SCART to BNC and then just get BNC to VGA, and you're all good. It should work perfectly, zero lag. Um, if that doesn't work for you, or if uh, you have one of the really small B, uh, PVMs that doesn't have the outs as well as the ins, um, the next best thing, or, or maybe depending on your setup, the best thing might actually be to use a G-SCART switch because it has two outputs. Um, now, you could also use a VGA switch. You just need to be careful because then you would have to do SCART to VGA cable. And then that switch is probably going to output TTL level, which is fine for your B- your PVM, or at least every one of the spec sheets that I've read. But if you go into your OSSC, make sure to go into the VGA side and not the SCART, because the SCART's designed for just basic 75-ohm level signal. Um, the only thing you really want to avoid is passive dual uh, dual outputs. So things like the otaku switch have dual outputs that were designed to be used one or the other. If you plug them both in at the same time, you're going to be drawing twice the current from the same source. And not only is the image going to be dim and not as good, you could actually damage some of the source equipment depending on how much load you put on that. So uh, hopefully I spelled out some decent solutions for you. And uh, I mean, it, the cheapest way is just to use your PVM as the pass-through pass device. Next, me Giel asked, I wish you would put a little more context and info under your links so I could read the notes like a newsletter and not watch the video if I don't have time. Nope. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, fair enough, but look, I'm really limited for time, and at that point it would be a blog. So I, I don't have time to do a blog and a YouTube video you know, and try to do everything else. So my only suggestion to you is to do it the way other people and just leave it play in the background and kind of perk up if you hear something interesting. And if not, just let it play. And, you know, hopefully my uh, my voice isn't too annoying to you. But I'm sorry, I just, I don't have time to do that, let alone have the other requests I get from people. So it's just not going to happen. And lastly, I got a question for you guys. And this is probably asking a lot here, so uh, don't get too pissed. I understand that most people aren't going to have time for this. But if any of the developers that work on the MSU1 audio hacks are listening, I have always wanted one with the Metroid Metal soundtrack from Stemage on it. And I always kept saying, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, but I keep getting busier. And with the new SNES NT coming out in February, I thought what a perfect game to try the console out on would be Super Metroid just with the Heavy Metal soundtrack. Um, about... I mean, almost a year and a half, a little more than that, more than that now, I, uh, I tweeted Stemmage, the creator of that, um, and Grant said that he gave it his blessing and would, you know, would be, allow his music to be used with it. Uh, and I spoke to a few people. Um, Mikael actually gave me instructions uh, on how to do it on, uh, based off of the work that he had already done, and I just had not gotten around to it. So uh, if anybody is used to making MSU1 patches and wants to take one that's already done and then just replace that music with uh, the heavy metal soundtrack, please let me know. Um, I already posted it uh, on, the, on my want list on the website. Uh, but yeah, if anybody was bored, 
but and wanted something to do for a couple hours that would be amazing because uh, i'm a huge fan of the msu one hacks obviously super metroid is one of my favorite games of all time and i am a massive fan of stemage and metroid metal and all the work that grant henry does on uh, some of his other music that he's posted as well so um, if anybody's up for it, give it a shot, but if not, I completely understand because we're all super busy and probably don't have time for that stuff. Well, that's it for this week. Definitely check out that interview with Mike Chi. I had a great time uh, talking with him and all the different things we covered. His mind control helmet. Just kidding, just kidding. Uh, and I will have another great interview coming up next week. So it looks like the flow of these has started to kick back in, so I really am going to be putting out one at a time. And for weeks that don't have interviews, something happens and I can't post it for whatever reason, I'm going to start reposting some of the older interviews that were mixed in with the podcast that I thought really stood out, or ones that I screwed up, like I felt bad for messing up Moto's voice that time, so hopefully I can go back and re-edit and get everything looking and sounding better. But um, at the very least, it'll, it'll guarantee you know, more regular content coming out. So uh, I'm going to just keep at it as best as I can. As always, any comments and criticism, please leave down below. Um, thank you so much to all my Patreons. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to get you as good as GameTech's high-def nest kit from last week, but uh, I'll try again for next month. Um, and I still have a few things for sale, so if you want, just check out the eBay link down below. But thanks again, and I'll see you guys.